0: they are not your friend. You don't go over there and shake hands, smile, hug their neck. Let's knock them on their backs, butt them in the mouth, knock their ass in the dirt. That's what we got to do. We got to stop that bloody ball. Smash everybody in the mouth. Take the running backs to the stands. Run up in the stands and slap their mama.
1: Live in the entertainment capital of the world. It's the TC Martin Show. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor.
2: TC Martin. It's gonna be fielded by Lorenzo Neal at the 25. Pitches yeah, it, to... it back to wide check. He throws it across the field to Dyson. He's got something. 30, He's got 40, something. 50. He's got 40, it.
0: He's got it. 20!
1: The Doctor is now in.
3: Glad to have you with us. Here we go. Middle of the work week. Wednesday, hump day. My old tag team partner came up with that. Hump day. I think he remembers that. Absolutely. Nick Nice in the house today. Flashback time. My man. Hanging out. Always part of the team. Always. Whether it's the, the Golden Pipes. If it's the mass production or, uh, you know, hitting all of the buttons right all of the time, unlike Numbchuck, where maybe get, you know, hitting some of the buttons right minimal amount of the time. There you go. On the other side of that proverbial glass, glad to have you with us on this Wednesday. I, I feel like today should be broadcaster's day. That's what it should be, you know. I mean, Major League Baseball. We have what you know. We have we have Bat Day. We have this day, that day. This is Broadcasters' Day today because our, all of our guests are in the broadcast industry today. Whether it's play by play or you know, um, you know sideline reporting, or if it's just uh, you know television, radio. So looking forward to it. And of course, uh, many of our regulars on tap here today, Trevor Maddich is going to join us the 15 time Emmy award winner from ESPN. As we start talking college football, we'll, uh, take a look at last week's games and a look ahead to, I guess, week number four on the college side coming up here this week, uh, with Trevor and, uh, Trevor involved in our best bet segment every week this year. So, uh, he's been pretty rock solid. So uh, Trevor Manich, of course, from ESPN, he will join us. And also a former colleague of mine going way back in the day that many Las Vegans remember, Tim Neverett is going to join us today. And Tim uh, is with the Dodgers, uh, has had a great broadcasting career on the play-by-play side, actually uh, was with the Pirates for a while, with the Red Sox, and now part of the Los Angeles Dodgers broadcast team. So Tim is going to join us today. And Tim has become an author, like uh, like many people have. He has a book on the horizon right now. And we will talk to Tim regarding his book. It's called COVID Curveball, an inside view of the 2020 Los Angeles Dodgers World Championship season. And uh, of course, he was with the Dodgers last year when they won the World Series And, of course, as we know, just a crazy season last year with COVID, 60 regular season games, uh, the social distancing, no fans, just uh, pretty crazy. And the Dodgers uh, persevered through all of that to win a World Series championship. And uh, so Tim was was with the Dodgers last year as a broadcaster, and he decided to chronicle uh, the crazy season that we knew last year of 2020 during COVID and called it COVID curveball. So we'll talk to him about that. Plus, we'll talk to him about the pennant race that's going on in the NL West with the Dodgers and the Giants. How crazy is that? The Dodgers have 97 victories, the second-best record in all of Major League Baseball. Oh, and they might not win the division. They may be stuck in a one-and-done situation with the wild card uh, is crazy because the Dodgers are playing some of the best baseball of any team in Major League Baseball right now. So uh, it'll be fun. We'll talk to Tim. And like I said, former colleague of mine, because Tim and I basically came to town at the same time when we worked uh, for the network, uh, the SEN, the Sports Entertainment Network, going back to the early 90s. And uh, we both uh, worked together those days, and and uh, he hung around Vegas uh, for For several years after that, and then uh, went off on his own, went back to the East Coast, like I mentioned. So looking forward to catching up uh, with Tim Neverett and had him on uh, the show. It's been a while, a few years back, actually, when he was with the Red Sox. So it'll be good to catch up with him. All right, so a lot to do, a lot to cover today as well. Let's uh, first get to some breaking news as we go to... Raiders getting ready to take on the Miami Dolphins Sunday at Allegiant Stadium. Remember, a 105 start. So, a tailgaters, uh, get your tailgating parties ready early on in the morning. Uh, Double B and the gang uh, is going to be tailgating at Allegiant uh, Stadium with uh, Madman Charlie. He's going to be firing up the grill, got invited to the tailgate party. It's going to be happening bright and early. So I may experience my first tailgating experience at Allegiant Stadium You know, coming up on, on Sunday. So uh, Raiders in Miami, 105 start. The news out of Miami is Tua is definitely out. And your starting quarterback for the Dolphins, Jacoby Brissett. That's right. He will be starting for the Dolphins, getting his first start as a Miami Dolphin. As you know, Tua got hurt early on in that game last week as the Dolphins went down to defeat to the Buffalo Bills where they got shut out 35-0. So Jacoby Brissett will get the start. We last saw Brissett with the Colts last year, you know, um, last couple seasons actually. So Phillip Rivers was there. He was actually backing up uh, Rivers, and before that, he got quite a few starts with the Colts, so that'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Uh, on the Raider side, we know that Derek Carr got injured last week. Uh, we played the audio from Derek Carr after the game. He said that uh, you know he was shaken up a little bit on that touchdown pass that he threw to Foster Moreau, the nine-yard touchdown pass in Pittsburgh last week. So uh, he's been limited in practice, but John Gruden says no, Derek Carr, he'll he'll be ready to go. He'll be able to play, but. He will not be 100%. So, and we already know the situation with Josh Jacobs. He's injured. He will not be playing. So, the Raiders trying to get it done, you know, by committee at the running back position. So, Raiders and Miami uh, in action at Allegiant Stadium, the second regular season home game with fans for the Raiders coming up this Sunday. And also in Chicago, breaking news there with. Andy Dalton is out with a left knee, which means, Bear fans, you're you're getting your wish. Justin Fields will get his first start in the National Football League coming up this Sunday. So uh, fantasy owners, make notes of that. Justin Fields gets a start. How will he fare for the Bears here? And Matt Nagy is saying that Andy Dalton still could have the starting job. When he gets back healthy. So no, a lot of people thought that it's just a matter of time. Before Justin Fields takes over as the Bears quarterback. And a lot of people think. Oh it's going to take like week four, week five. Well boom Andy Dalton gets hurt immediately. Uh, you know basically in week number two. And now Justin Fields is going to get the start. In week number three. So we'll see how all that plays out. Alright so that's the latest news coming from the uh, NFL. But now. Let's get today's show kicked off. And we we talked about Broadcaster's Day here. we got to bring in our good friend T.J. Reeves from Tampa Bay, the Bucs sideline reporter, the 2-0 and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. T.J. Reeves kicking it off with us here on a wild Wednesday. What is happening, my man?
1: Always good to be with my initials brother from another mother. You're taking me down memory lane, my friend, because we're contemporaries. Tim Neverett is a contemporary. I still remember... Uh, working, interning, and being a part-time employee of the original all-sports station in all of Florida, which was here in Tampa, 1990-91. I believe that SEN, that Sports Entertainment Network, that was our network, and yes. we would hear Tim Neverett at night. <laughs> so now you're making me feel really old, but that was 30 years ago, but it's always good to be with
3: you. All right, so here, here's the deal. Yeah. So Tim actually was on a, an East Coast... Uh, station in network if you remember doing like Trivia back in the overnights, and then he came to Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, so so that was prior to that, and then in '92 I came from Sacramento. He came uh, from Boston, and actually he was doing mornings. Yours truly uh, was. I did I did every imaginable shift you can remember. My my first day on the job was three to six, and then uh, then they they put me the overnights. And you probably heard me because I had plenty of callers from the F L A area back in the day, especially my. Miami uh those were some great times on the sports and entertainment there network there was tj reeves and who would have known i mean that uh you may even have called me back in those days who ne- knows never know. You know never know
1: again uh people have known for a while that we're full of crap and the more that we tell them how long we've been full of crap the scarier it gets so that's all wow. that is all good you can speak this, for yourself on that one looking friend. My friend, while we were talking, and so I looked at the Miami line. Now that they made it official, the two was not playing, and am I correct that it, it went up by at least a couple points, if not three points? That the Raiders are now four and a half point favorites. Jacoby Brissette, uh two two is worth three points. Vegas believes for this game, I guess something like that. Well,
3: you know that, that's. I think this line was made knowing that Tua wasn't going to play because I remember Tua exited the game in the first quarter on Sunday. So, I, mean, and I think that is a, more of a line of what the Raiders did to Pittsburgh. The way Miami's uh, put up the big Z on the scoreboard as well too. So, I don't think it mattered. I mean, Tua wasn't going to be playing. I think we knew that. And if Tua you got was a going to Brian start, Flores
1: though on this point, don't you because Brian Flores was queried like five different ways Monday about how hurt is he? How long he's out? He said over and over again, he's day to day. He's day to day. We're going to evaluate him later this week. I mean, right out of the Belichickian mode of give them nothing, tell them nothing, say nothing about injuries. Now, oh, it's broken ribs, and the the reporting I saw out of Miami is it's at least two games and maybe longer that they're without him. So again, don't don't count on Flores or Belichick to ever give you a straight answer on anything. Yeah, uh, including the dinner menu.
3: And this is probably a fair line, and maybe the line's a little bit short if you like the Raiders here. I mean, maybe this line should be around five and a half or six. Uh, considering uh, the way the Raiders really took care of business in Pittsburgh and what we saw last out of Miami. And again, Jacoby Brissett is a decent backup quarterback, but, but that's it. He hasn't been on the field at all this year. And this, and this Dolphins situation offensively is terrible as we know. The running back position is putrid. Uh, defensively, they couldn't stop Josh Allen or anybody at all on their home field last week. I mean, when you put up a big Z, when you put up a big goose egg on your home field, I don't care who you're playing here, especially coming off the performance that buffalo had we knew the buffalo was going to be better in week number two hence part of our best bets last week but to score zero on your home field inexcusable and i don't care who your quarterback is you've got to score on your home field and they didn't do it now they're going to come agree. back here to the scene of the crime last year well the scene of the crime for the raiders because if we remember being at that game last year where tua was atrocious against the Raiders here. And Fitzmagic had to come in and, and win the game for him. And Fitzma- Fitzpatrick was fantastic. And you know, so obviously it's a little payback you know, for the Raiders here. But if you line up these two teams right now, whether it's on paper or on the field, I mean, the Raiders look to be a better football team than the Miami Dolphins. So I think four, four and a half, warranted.
1: I'm with you on that. And again, Miami, I, I got, you, you want it when I relate these things. I got over-the-top Dolphin fan my uh, in-laws, who were telling me after week one when they won at New England, they're back, they're going to they're gonna win the, the division, all this other stuff. So then I'm around them for dinner on Monday night. I'm like, hey, how's things going? After 35 nothing? two is hurt. We're already ready to junk the season, and we're looking at a top-ten draft pick again. What a difference a week makes in the NFL, does it not, doctor? I mean, everybody's riding high when you win a game. And uh, to start the season and all the optimism – And then usually by week three or by week four, it's unraveled for a lot of these teams. So it's a week-to-week league for a lot of this. But the Raiders have a really good chance, obviously, to be 3-0. Yeah, no doubt.
3: There's no question. And when you looked at the schedule immediately, you're thinking, okay, the Raiders could be 1-2 at this point after three weeks. Because a lot of people thought they would lose to Baltimore and, and lose to Pittsburgh. And I gave them a a real live shot you know in the opener and we talked about that before too but yeah i thought they would go to pittsburgh and they would lose especially considering all the injuries that the raiders had you know, last week. So yeah, I, I think a lot of people figured the Raiders would probably be one and one at this point in time. So two and zero is a bonus, and now you're getting the Dolphins, at you know, at this in a revenge spot, and now they're injured like we're talking about. So yeah, the Raiders very easily could be three and zero, and we know what the percentage does; it increases. You know, when your team is three and zero after three weeks making the playoffs, I mean, I believe the number is what 68 percent. If uh, you know teams that are two and zero, they make the playoffs 68 percent of the time. Now you increase that to three and zero, and I understand. We're adding a week of the season here where there's a 17-game schedule. So, yeah, Raiders are putting themselves in a a nice position earlier on. you got to get those W's as as often as you can because, as we know, last year Raiders 2-0. Last year Raiders 6-2 on the road. 6-2 on the road. Think about that. They didn't make the playoffs because they were horrendous at home at Allegiant Stadium last year. So that's mind-boggling. The team could start off 2-0, and then be six and two on the road, you're thinking about okay, this team probably has a, a first round bye. They probably win their division. Well, of course not not with Kansas City, even though they beat Kansas City last year. So yeah, it's it's a fickle league, it's crazy, and there's a lot of craziness going on uh, throughout the league. And a game that I you
1: bring up and you bring up another variable there of the Raiders didn't have fans at home to go bonkers in the black hole. And you've already seen now these first couple of weeks in the NFL, major college football, that the home field, the home crowd, does have an effect in certain situations uh, when it gets ultra, ultra loud. I mean, you watch that Penn State Auburn game. To skip back over to college for a half second, you can't tell me that Auburn wasn't greatly affected by the hundred thousand in the whiteout. They couldn't hear. They were screwing stuff up. Penn State got emboldened, got got, uh, motivated heavily by the home crowd. Heck, watch the Monday night game, as everybody did, at Lambeau. And the Lions were fine. And then in the second half, they made a couple of mistakes. The crowd is all over them. Jared Goff can't hear. That's just something we didn't have a year ago because of all the COVID guidelines and no fans in the stands. You didn't have to worry about that. As a visiting player, I mean, that's that's why the Buccaneers rolled in there last year was last year and didn't have to worry about fans. And Tom Brady dissected the Raiders during the stretch that you're talking about in the middle of the season, that will not be the case now when the Bucks are going anywhere. I know we're going to talk about it in a second. When they're going anywhere, you are the hunted. You, you have a target on you, and there's going to be seventy, eighty thousand 80,000 people going bonkers everywhere you are.
3: When you go back to the NFC Championship game last year where the Bucks went to Lambeau Field, where only 9,000 fans were there. And you know people that were well, there first of
1: all first of all let's correct something they tried to act like there's only going to be 9000 they lied right. they allowed almost 20000 people in there because there were numerous media members and numerous buccaneer people reporting 30 minutes before the game this ain't 9000 people there's a, there's <laughs> at least 15 18 already here trying to make noise so they lied about that first of all and one other thing i think somebody tried to tell you on this very point Without the loud crowd, etc., advantage Buccaneers in the NFC title game. And for from from one of the many times of our relationship, you just didn't want to listen to me. That <laughs> it was advantage Bucks and Champa Bay to be able to play a home field Super Bowl a year ago at Lambo,
3: my friend. Uh, that that is true. And again, uh, I don't know what the exact number was, but I know the people that were there, and they said the nine thousand. You really kind of felt like thirty thousand, and, and it sounded they like had it. twenty thousand yeah, there. It yeah. wasn't
1: nine thousand. They had. I mean, if you looked around, no, you could yeah. tell. I, I believe you could tell it was more than that. I believe
3: yeah. when I talked to the ticket director, my my man Mark Wagner back there, I think he said eight thousand four hundred seventy-two. Uh, <laughs> I believe that that was the number. So so there you go. But no, it was hard to believe. It was hard to believe those Buccaneers when you struggled mightily against Heineken and Company. You you struggled against a beer quarterback last year in Washington. I mean, by come way, on! I mean, way. you had to, you had to did, dust that guy look? off late in the fourth how quarter. How did
1: he look last Thursday night for the Washington football team? I mean, he he has. Some legs, some mobility, some spark. He doesn't have big okay. size or Stop. big arms. Stop.
3: You're, you're Super Bowl champion. You don't need to sit there and try to build up Tyler Heineken, okay? You don't need to do that. You don't need to build him up. You're the champion. You can play the song all you want. You can have your boat parade. You can right, have your back-to-back right. whatever, you know, with the lightning and everything else you got going, or back-to-back-to-back. You know, so there you go. You don't need to sit there and be uh, Tyler Heineken's uh, agent right now, Okay. There it is. I'm there with you. You're still playing your song. There you're it playing, is. We
1: are the champions. Yes. And the Buccaneers are the champions, yes. just yes. like the Lightning are about to begin defense of the Stanley Cup, two-time Stanley Cup champions. We'll save that for uh, another, I understand, another show. But Thank you. Let's let's give Let's give credit, though. Uh, again, you have to go win the games. The Buccaneers won three consecutive road games. All we heard was, oh, you're not going to be able to do this as a wild-card team three straight times on the road. That's exactly what they were able to do. All I'm saying is it will be different. It'll be it'll be much different, obviously, at SoFi Stadium, Sunday, 125 Pacific time, when the Buccaneers are in there and there's 70,000 people or how many ever they cram into that building that are going to be going bonkers for the Rams to try to be 3-0. and uh, The thing is, you feel confident with Tom Brady. Example, last Sunday, I know it was at home, but the game was a 28-25 game And I'm sitting there saying to everybody on the sideline, Tom Brady's been here a hundred times with go put the game away. Don't make a killer mistake and go put the game away. It's easy for us as broadcasters in the media, observers to say he's going to put it away. They have to go and do it. But I stood there with people around me going, they're going to win. He's going to go put them in the end zone, which he did, to make it 35-25, and then they cranked up the defense with the two pick sixes and put the game away. And again, I, I have every confidence Brady is going to go and is going to be solid and look like the guy that we've seen, and the Bucs are going to be right in there, loud crowd or not Sunday.
3: Tampa Bay 2-0, T.J. Reeves joins us, part of the Buccaneers broadcast team. Two close games, like you mentioned. I mean, Dallas, we talked about that before. That was a great contest. And Atlanta, I mean, Atlanta hung around until late in the fourth quarter. And like I said, that final score really not indicative of how close that game was, especially with you know the pick sixes at the end. But uh, yeah, Tampa Bay, congratulations. 2-0 and now have to go on the road to L.A., and uh, looking forward you know, to that game. Now, are are you still back in this situation that you were last year where they're not letting the road team uh, announcers travel again? I mean, come on. I mean, there's going to be 80,000-plus there. I mean, people are allowed on airplanes. Are, are you coming to L.A. or are you not coming to L.A.? I
1: am coming to L.A. Oh. I, again. Again, we did not travel for the entire Buccaneers season a year ago, so we did every game, including remotely out of Raymond James Stadium, for the road games, every game, including the Super Bowl, we were at the same place, which now there is a 17-game schedule. And remember, we played the wild-card game like we were talking about for 20 20 total games with four playoff games and the Super Bowl in the same stadium. So theoretically, you could have somebody do it 21 times in the future. Hopefully we never, ever, ever have to go through no fans, no travel, COVID-19 again. But that's pretty amazing that we did all 20 games out of the same stadium. But, yes, we are back traveling We will be there at SoFi Stadium. I am on a flight Saturday. We're not going with the team. The NFL guidelines are there's not enough space on the planes because of uh, social distancing on the airplanes. And the NFL Players Association, the broadcasters and most of the team personnel are not on the plane with the players, the coaches, the training staff, the video guys, the equipment guys, all the people that you have to bring. So we're on a commercial flight Saturday, and we'll be there uh, to see it, but yes, we are traveling. So it's good to be back on the road and, uh, and I'll, I'll investigate SoFi stadium and report back to you, sir.
3: Yes, there you go. And definitely food options. Okay. Make your way around. I, <laughs> I need some good food options there at SoFi stadium. See how it compares to Allegiant. Cause you've seen my Allegiant picture, uh, stadium pictures, uh, of, of food. So there you go. We we have to do a compare and contrast as you know. Now let me ask you something here with the Buccaneers at 2-0, and you guys are feeling good. We talk about Brady, nine touchdown passes, only two interceptions. I want you to take off your Tampa Bay Buccaneers hat right now, if you can. Okay, take it off. Be, be Mr. Objective, okay? And are there any concerns for you with this team as you move down the road and playing a very tough opponent coming up here next, uh, this Sunday?
1: The two biggest ones are secondary on defense, and we've already seen – some of those problems and your guy Sean Murphy Bunting got hurt in the first quarter of the Cowboys game and he had really come on after you ridiculed him doctor on this show and on my stuff you're ridiculing Murphy Bunting but he really played well he played well in the New Orleans Divisional win and in the Green Bay NFC title win and even in the Super Bowl Uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs, but he got hurt in the first quarter. He's out with an elbow injury and probably out for at least a month, if not longer. So they've had to shuffle some defensive backs. It's a young secondary, so that's a concern. And the other thing is just that point, health. Does everybody stay healthy? Obviously, if TB12 does not remain upright and, and firing every which direction, that's a big problem for the Buccaneers. It is a big reason why they have the confidence, they have the offense that they have. But if you have other injuries that crop up, like you were talking about with the Raiders, whether it's an offensive line injury, maybe you lose somebody like Mike Evans. I don't know if you have this breaking news uh, or not, or if you've already talked about it as of yet just before I came on, but we do have breaking news involving Antonio Brown. Yes. Where Antonio Brown is on the COVID list, and 99% is not going to be able to be in this game with the Rams because he would have to test negative twice, apparently, prior to being able to travel to Los Angeles and play in the game. Here we go again with depth. Do you stay healthy? That could undo the Bucs just like it could undo the Chiefs or any other elite team, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, how is Big Ben, Raiders, whoever it is, got to stay healthy, T.C.
3: Yeah, exactly. And with the the situation with the NFL protocols, you have to test – have two negative tests 24 hours apart. So you can't take uh, two tests, you know, you know, eight, ten hours apart. It has to be at least 24 hours. To, so can he make it there on, on Sunday? We'll say, you know what, Antonio Brown may be uh, traveling with you on that plane on Saturday.
1: He's not going with the team. You may have that. And, and
3: That might be exciting. You know, if we do, then we
1: have breaking news. I will report back on the TC Martin Show globally, tcmartinshow.com. I will report back if AB is on the flight with us. I don't, I don't think that would be likely might be private aircraft that's involved if that's the case. But uh, we'll see because, again, in the protocols, he can't be on the team plane without negative tests to be able to go. That's what we're talking about here. But uh, just, just back to one more thing. For the Vegas audience and everywhere else that I'm coming on, from field level for two games, anybody that's still doubting whether Tom Brady's got the arm and got the ability at 44, I know it's early. I know it's the beginning of the season. But they, he, he is throwing darts. He is looking like a 34-year-old Tom Brady throwing the ball around of the weapons that the Bucs have. And good luck to the Rams. It's going to be a battle, but good luck on who do you want to double. Uh, Do you want to double Mike Evans? Okay, you're going to leave Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski open. You want to try to take Gronk away with two guys? Put two on Evans, put two on Gronk. You've got guys like Antonio Brown or Godwin or the other tight end, O.J. Howard, and Brady's going to find them. As long as he's got time, he's going to find them and carve people up. So let's see. This Rams challenge will be a good one because they've got an excellent defensive line led by Aaron Donald in the middle. Uh, and Brady did make some mistakes and had some second-half interceptions in the Monday night game last year. So let's see what this looks like Sunday.
3: Yeah, look, at, look out for Aaron Donald, Michael Brockers and company, and, and that defense. And then, you know, back to uh, the, the plane uh, with Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown does have to ride with you, T.J. Reeves, on that nice. Saturday yeah. afternoon, this literally will be the plane ride from hell. I mean, it could be all over again. The plane ride from hell. So I don't know. Watch out for the alcohol. Watch out for the, uh, the flight attendants. I don't want any lawsuits happening. I know that, you know what I'm referencing there.
1: The only thing that I know is I, I'm a I'm a straight laced dude. I do the I do the best to behave. I, I travel civilly and 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 mind my own business. Don't get on any kind of no fly list, TSA problems or any of that. There's not going to be any trouble from TJ in the initials. That's it. That's- I know the doctor when he's traveling might make some oh. trouble over whether or not his peanuts are properly salted or. Or, or whether or not uh, you know the airport listen, get, had enough selection for whatever your snacks are or your food for the plane. Listen, but we're not, I'm not going to be a problem coming out there to the West Coast.
3: We're not talking about peanuts. We're talking about something else. I just want to make sure that you don't pull a Ric Flair and open your robe there and you and, you and Antonio Brown are playing helicopter. <laughs>
1: That is too much information on a Wednesday afternoon. Hey, doctor, that is the plane the
3: ride from hell from the dark side of the ring. Uh, you better go look at that episode, my friend. That's just be careful, you know, for these these chartered flights that are, you know, either going from, uh, you know, uh, cross country or, you know, from a different country. Be careful, my friend. Be, you know, I'm saying we,
1: we know I that appreciate yeah. I appreciate the advice, but it's a business trip. We're excited to see what the Buccaneers can do. So is the because WWE. That was a business trip, too. I mean, give me a break. I understand. <laughs> well, different, different kind of business. But if the Buccaneers win this game on Sunday, Mighty One, yeah. then, then you line up next Sunday, and, and as the announcers, as media, as broadcasters, we get to talk about the following game. You line up at New England at 3-0 and with the Ooh. one and only time that Brady's oh. ever going to be yes. the visiting quarterback, yes. all things being equal yeah. in New England. I mean, look out. Even if they don't win and they're 2-1, it's still a humongous deal. But it's an even bigger deal. The Buccaneers have been playing football for 45 years and have never won 10 games in a row. They have now won 10 games in a row dating back to last season. Sunday win would be 11 games in a row dating back to last season. So keep the momentum going. And then, wow, I know you, you're looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm happy to come on next week prior to that showdown with the Patriots.
3: Yeah, looking forward to that. All right, my friend, TJ Reeves from Tampa. There it is,
1: the Bucs sideline We reporter. have more breaking news before I leave. More breaking news that Major League Baseball has come out this afternoon and said if the Tampa Bay Rays defeat the Toronto Blue Jays, I uh, hear this afternoon, I don't know if it's going final or not, they do clinch a playoff spot yes. and could clinch the division as soon as this weekend out of the American League East. So, Tampa Bay continues, brother.
3: Listen, brother, I, I already put in uh, my credentials, ticket requests. Uh, I'm already looking past the ALDS, the, the ALCS. I've got it on the docket. I know the Astros are going to take care of their business. I Hopefully, the Rays can take care of their first-round opponent. And, uh, yes, w- we could be going head-to-head here for the uh, ALCS. And how did that
1: work out a year ago for those disasters? Yeah,
3: di- stand di- by. Yeah, di- stand di- by. Different, different story.
1: Different story. We'll see if it's a different different story. story. By the way, Rays leading seven-one, going to the All seventh right. inning. They clinch a playoff spot if they win that game. Could clinch the division maybe Friday or Saturday, depending in Tampa Bay. But.
3: There you go, man. Get, there goes the train, brother. All right, be good. We will talk to you later, T.J. Rees, enjoy your cross-country flight to Los Angeles, and uh, we'll talk to you from SoFi Stadium. Take care, brother. I always
1: love being with you. By the way, the Three Dog Thursday podcast is going to be out tomorrow. It's already rolling. The doctor has picked underdog successfully each of the last two weeks. He's back again with another underdog. You had Tennessee Titans yes. last week. I can't wait to find out who you have this week to try to go three straight weeks with his... Uh, No huddle underdog. I'm looking forward to that on the 3-Dog Thursday podcast. 3-0
3: on the 3-Dog Thursday podcast. Three dogs, winner outright, like I said. You were not looking good in the
1: second half, but that's why it's a 60-minute game and even beyond, and the Titans came through for you. You were golden. I I love Derrick
3: Henry. That's all I got to say. I love Derrick Henry and his 182 yards. Take care, brother. We appreciate you. There he is, TJ Reeves. Check him out. The Three Dog Thursday podcast, big fight weekend. He's got all that, and of course, the Buccaneers sideline reporter. When we come back, Trevor Maddich, and we talk college football.
1: Martin. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in. 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 Boom. 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 All right, this
3: guy is a man of many talents, as we know. Whether it's breaking him down, the X's and the O's, or some vast music knowledge. And he may even know this one. And uh, this one goes out of Timmy Brando. I mean, Timmy Brando, he, he called this song. He used to play this song back in Shreveport, Louisiana. Trevor Maddich, you are a knowledgeable one with music. Can you go back this far
4: to, what, 1974 and name this tune? I wasn't even born yet in 1974, (laughs) T.C. Martin. Okay, that may or may not be true. You'll have to Google it. But I cannot name this song. I want you to tell me what it is, though, because I like it. This is the Bertha Butt Boogie, my friend. That's right. The Jimmy Caster
3: Bunch. Oh, this was uh, Top 40 Radio at its finest back in the day. The
4: Bertha Butt Boogie. You can shake Go it. Up. The, yeah. This the inspiration for Spinal Tap's Big Bottom. I think this could be true. Very nice. <laughs> How could I leave that behind? You
3: could not leave it behind. There you to go. To quote Spinal Tap. There you go. All right. How were those dances at uh, Rio Americano in, in, in the gymnasium? Did you attend those? Or were you one of these little shy guys that uh, you were know, back up against the wall or didn't even go to the dances? And, and if you did go, I want to know, what was, what was one of those songs that got you on the dance floor to, you know, to, to ask one of those cheerleaders to start uh, you know, boogieing
4: down with you? Most likely one would have been Cameo. Word up! Oh, for some reason, that's what I'm I was just—I was so enthralled with that song, man. I loved that song. It wasn't really fast, yes. but man, did it have a groove! Oh, so I right. just loved that groove.
3: Oh, of course, Larry Blackman Cameo, as we know, and uh, there we go. I mean, Trevor managed coming strong with a little Cameo. I mean, you never cease to amaze me. Coming with the old school funk, my friend. I love you for that, as you well know. There you go. Yeah, he's shaking it up right now. There it is. Uh, your next ESPN segment, I, I think you better tell the boys in say in the control room and say, give me a little cameo, give me a little word up. While I start breaking down X's and O's, Trevor managed. You know what? that's the
4: that's actually perfect lead-in music for a breakdown isn't it
2: absolutely it is
4: because yeah. you know what and then they finished by saying and that's the word <laughs> word <laughs> up
3: i love it i like it all right my man hey let's talk a little college football i want to go back to last week auburn penn state the whiteout it was fantastic Trevor, please, can you can you talk to your people between ESPN, college football, all the commissioners? We need more of these non-conference matchups, okay? Look what we've had so far this year. We've had Alabama and Mercer. This week, we're getting Ohio State and Akron. We're getting Penn State against Villanova. That's not even a good basketball game, Trevor. Well, there's no need for this, and this upsets me. It really upsets me because – these schools like Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, the top tier teams, they don't need this anymore. There is no need for you to pay someone a million dollars to come and get a whooping. Just I'd rather see these guys just take a bye week because it really is insulting, it's embarrassing, and if you're going to play a non-conference opponent, if you don't want to play, you know, an Auburn or somebody like that, okay, but just give us something a little better i mean give us a tulsa or or southern mississippi or something like that but uh, this i take this as insulting as a college football fan
4: well i'm going to fedex you a device along with instructions it's called a television remote control (laughs) you can use it to change the channel if you don't like Some of those games, if you don't want to see Penn State play Villanova, change the channel at the same time as Notre Dame playing Wisconsin. I am absolutely fine with some of these games. Like, let's just take Penn State-Villanova. Okay, so they just came off of a a physical game against Wisconsin. A few weeks later, a couple weeks later, Penn State plays a physical game against Auburn. They'll just get beat up if all they play is those kinds of games. To me, it's fine to have this kind of game. And truthfully, you know, the opening weekend – most teams need this kind of game. Certainly teams that have a new starting quarterback and new coaching staff. I mean, don't you, think, don't you think Clemson would have liked to have a cupcake instead of Georgia's defense to break in D.J. Uyunglele as the starter? I mean, don't you think that Ohio State would have been better off with a couple of cupcakes instead of opening up with Minnesota and Oregon uh, to get C.J. Stroud out of first gear? Not to say he didn't do well, but still, for goodness sake, it's, it's, it's tough. Plus, for teams like Villanova and those folks, this pays for their athletic budget. So there are a lot of reasons why I think cupcake games are important. Also because you get to play some of those guys that are red It's one of their four, uh, four games that they can play. They can get in there, get some meaningful playing time. Your backups can get meaningful playing time. Your starters can rest. So I see it differently, T.C. I think most people agree with you that they hate games like that. But I see, I see a lot of benefit. Now, going to your point of Auburn at Penn State on campus, I totally agree there. I appreciate the neutral site openers, the big game openers in Dallas or Atlanta or someplace like that. They're great, and they pay a lot of money to those schools. But I think schools look at recruiting, coaches especially, and they look at their fans. And the fans want to see those games on campus. Let's do this home and home rather than at a neutral site and one and done especially coaches that want recruiting Penn State to have their recruits in to see the whiteout at night against Auburn and the Nittany Lions win. What an atmosphere. What an intersectional advantage that now Penn State has over other big schools in the southeast, right, in recruiting. So I agree with you that I want to see these big games played on campus, but I do not mind at all. The, the what we call cupcake games, as long as you understand which team's a cupcake and which team isn't. Appalachia State is not a cupcake. North Dakota State is not a cupcake.
3: No, and, I, and I'm fine with that. But again, you know, we've seen, you know, teams be so non competitive. We've seen, you know, uh, coaches feel, uh, you know, fear for injury in these type of games. I mean, Alabama and a Mercer, I mean, really? I mean, again, I'm just saying you don't need that. And you don't, you're you paying these guys to come in, and I understand you're getting backups and this and that, but that is one game that you could either, like I said, I'd rather see these guys have a bye week if you need the rest instead of playing a cupcake or whatever, because I, did, I don't think it does college football any good. Because you're getting more and more people to talk about that instead of okay, wow, uh, you know, Penn State and Auburn, and, and they always do this before there's going to be a big game. And then what's even worse, Trevor, is you get this like later in the season sometimes with some of these SEC schools. You know, before Alabama, Auburn, they'll each play a, a non-conference week. Cupcake. Is that bad? Yeah, I, I get a weak cupcake. It is. There's just no place. Let those guys schedule yeah, you know, each other. Okay, let the Mercer's do you, do, you know, play Bethune Cookman. You guys go at no, it, okay? no, no, no,
1: yeah.
4: no. No, they do. They do. I mean, well, I mean, true. I don't know about Bethune Cookman. The right? but but to play. You talk about those SEC games where they they play an extraordinarily beatable team. Let's put it that way. Before their big rivalry, I think fans of Alabama hate it that they play that kind of game before they play Auburn but because they, they don't want to see it, but they love it that Alabama goes into Auburn fresher than they would have been. That Auburn, who needs their starters to be as fresh as possible to be able to compete with Alabama, don't have their starters beat up by playing LSU the week before they play Alabama. They can get a little bit of a rest, and so I think that's good. By the way, T.C., why... Are you so eager to choke the financial life out of schools like Mercer? No, no, no. What do you have against the Tim Cookman and Mercer that you want them to have to sell Girl Scout cookies in order to make a living? (laughs) What why do you hate them?
3: I I, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate that factor, okay, the, the money factor. Again, I'm looking at just from a competitive standpoint and taking up time. It, see, it's not the remote control, Trevor. It's that if I don't have that, and these games aren't even televised anyway, so you can't use the remote control situation there. It's just that I could be getting a game like Auburn and Penn State in there to to fill my Saturday instead of so many of these other teams like you know I Ohio State-Akron and Penn State-Villanova- Week in in you know Alabama and Mercer you know last week or two weeks ago or whatever so they're they're just taking up space there my friend that's what I'm saying okay give me some better matches. can I that's help all. you out
4: sure sure Go can on. I help you out sure okay so Eastern time now noon Eastern Georgia, uh, excuse me um, Notre Dame is playing Wisconsin at Soldier Field yes then at three thirty Eastern Texas A and M is playing at Arkansas yes two ranked teams that are both three and zero. Arkansas, a huge surprise, and they may end up being a challenge to Alabama in the, in the West. I mean, that's interesting. Also at 330, Clemson is going to NC State. NC State's 2-1, and one, and they have a team that's good enough to beat Clemson if, Clemson if their offense doesn't get better. So there's a lot of drama in that game. 330 also, Rutgers is at Michigan. Michigan has rushed the ball for well over 300 yards in each. Of their first three games, they are physically dominant. I mean, it's back to Bo Schembeckler in the 70s, it feels like. Rutgers is 3-0. and So how good are they? That's an interesting thing for drama. Okay, and then let's move a little bit into the evening. And we have 7.30 West Virginia at Oklahoma. West Virginia plays the same style of zone defense that Nebraska used to slow down Oklahoma, that Tulane used to slow them down the second half of their game in the opener. And they've got a really good offense against an Oklahoma defense that's been up and down. I mean, there's a lot of drama in West Virginia at Oklahoma as well. So there you go. From noon to seven thirty, you got some. And by the way, BYU plays then at uh, ten thirty. So right,
3: Billy. I have all those uh, games marked. So there, I'm looking forward to that, my friend. Okay, yeah. let's let's talk about Clemson here. What is up with this team? They scored three against Georgia, and then I don't know what it is against teams with Georgia, and then they get 14 against Georgia Tech. Final score, 14-8. to What is up with this Clemson team? Because you do not expect Clemson, especially coming in here as 30-point favorites like they were last week, to
4: lay an egg and barely beat the Yellow Jackets. Lay an egg is right, but it's on offense. The defense was fantastic against Georgia Tech. Zero help from the offense of any kind. And the fact that Clemson at home was fighting for their football life on defense at the end of that game was unconscionable for Clemson. Now you can make the case that, okay, they're not, they don't have their A game on offense. They're not playing their D game. It's largely F, Uh, but they, they found a way to win anyway. Okay. Give them credit, survive in advance. Hopefully they will be a lot better on offense. But the thing is they can't run the ball. Their offensive line has taken a big step back. Last year, they were okay run blocking the Clemson offensive line, but pretty good at pass protection. This year, big step back. I mean, they didn't crack four yards per carry overall as a team against Georgia Tech. I mean, this is Georgia Tech, who you know is still Georgia Tech. No, no disrespect to them. And then they can't run the ball. I mean, DJ Younglele is not being allowed to throw the excuse me throw the ball. Uh, DJU is not being allowed to throw the ball down the field. And when he tries, he's not very successful at it. They thought that receiver Justin Ross, coming back from a you know, from neck injury you know, kind of issue he had with his neck, missed all last year. They thought that he would come back and really improve the downfield passing game. But he hasn't done it. They did not have a, a pass play over 18 yards against Georgia Tech. So now you're not throwing the ball down the field with any success. You're throwing the ball super short. You're not running the ball with any success. The defense is coming up, and they're not afraid of you to go over the top. And next thing you know, your offense is stoned cold. So that makes Clemson not just uh, a team that, that may not make it to the playoffs. They might not win the ACC, and this is a weak ACC
3: I agree. I agree. I'm just wondering what, you know, again, I think, you know, the quarterback uh, spot. I don't know if a DJ is uh, making too much money with Dr. Pepper and, uh, you know, NIL and all that sort of thing. His uh, attention is 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 diverted here. A little bit of craziness here that uh, we're, we're seeing this guy and in, in this Clemson offense, uh, you know, fail uh, the way they are early on here. So I'm uh, going to have to keep an eye on the Clemson Tigers. Uh, Trevor, I want to talk to you about the, you mentioned it, the game at Soldier Field in Chicago, Wisconsin and Notre Dame. And I know a lot of fans, especially in the Midwest, would love to see these teams square off You know, much more regular. How do you handicap this game with the Badgers and the Irish?
4: This is going to be about Notre Dame not hurting themselves. I've got a breakdown coming up on Sports Center this week mm-hmm. about, about Notre Dame making things a whole lot harder than they have to be. And it really is kind of a minor miracle that they're undefeated, even against the schedule that they've played, with how many times they put themselves behind the curve by executing poorly or by not checking out of a bad play or checking into a bad play. I mean, it's just amazing how they limit their opportunities to actually do things right. But when they have those opportunities, they do it super well. The problem with Notre Dame Beyond that, just structurally, is that their offensive line's had a bunch of injuries. I mean, last week, they started their third consecutive different left tackle. You know, and this is because of injury and play and stuff like that. And so, you know, so they've got issues on the offensive line against the front seven of Wisconsin. That's one of the better groups in the country. One of the best groups of linebackers are always one of the most destructive and disruptive groups of linebackers. And so they will put a lot of pressure on this offensive line, but it shouldn't matter all that much. Because with talent that they have at running back, tight end, and wide receiver, all you have to do is put those guys in a position to succeed, and they will. But Notre Dame doesn't do that enough. And that's one of the reasons that they barely got by a bad Florida State team, uh, a Toledo team that's no world beater, and then Purdue took them to the wire as well. So this will be interesting. Notre Dame, if they don't fix those problems with, with hurting themselves with poor execution unnecessarily, they'll get blasted out of the playoff by Wisconsin.
3: You know, we see Jack Cohn leave Wisconsin, goes to Notre Dame, makes way for Mertz there, and neither guy really has been impressive. How do you handicap the quarterback
4: situation there? Mertz lit it up as a true freshman last year, didn't he, early. And then COVID hit. And he missed time, other guys missed time, and and all of a sudden that offense just didn't go anywhere. Mertz has not started well this year. I mean, that Penn State game, he just, I mean, he freaked out. He just freaked out. I mean, in the red zone, there were more unforced errors. One of the problems was he fumbled the ball. He handed it off to the running back. Instead of putting the ball in the running back's belly, he reached it across the running back's chest and put it on the opposite deltoid, high peck inside deltoid. And the ball came out. It was fumbled. You know, another one, he, um, you know, dropped a snap, I think. I mean, he just, he just freaked out in the red zone and made unforced errors that really hurt Wisconsin. Now, this defense will be the best that he has faced since that Penn State opener. And so it's a matter of whether he can settle down and play to his ability, because this year his problem has been mental. It has not been physical.
3: Trevor, one more thing on the college side here. We saw Alabama... Really, we thought they were in comfortable uh, control against Florida last week. And final score, 31-29. I mean, Florida's a two-point conversion away from tying this thing up and going to overtime and potentially winning here. Any concern if you're a Tide fan?
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I had Alabama at number four this week. Wow. Wow, that's that's strange. Yeah. Now, on the one hand, you have to give Alabama credit for going into a ranked team On the road, you know, the the swamp has been, you know, desperate for this kind of a game at home where they could put a full stadium full of fans, and they did, and man, the fans were great. And Alabama had some injuries, especially at linebacker. You know, Christian Allen was out. Will Anderson, one of the best linebackers in the country, was gimpy. He was dinged up, you know, so they're not at their full self. At the same time, my concern for Alabama is two things. One of them was on defense. They got pushed around, and I mean pushed around, by Florida's running game. You know, it's one thing for Florida to average four yards a carry. They were 5.7 yards per carry. They were well over 200 yards on the ground, and Alabama couldn't stop them at key moments. Uh, and even on the final two-point conversion, that – Florida at the end of the game was down two, two-point conversion. They ran right up the middle. I thought it was a good call. Bama hadn't stopped them up the middle all game long. They had the tight defense on their heels, but there was miscommunication. Emory Jones, the Florida quarterback, put the ball in the belly of the running back. The running back clamped down on it. The quarterback tried to pull it back out, and now they're dragging each other. And that's the reason they didn't convert and tie the game and send it to overtime. But it doesn't change the fact that Alabama's defense got pushed around by Florida. Then you've got the Alabama running game. In two games against FBS opponents, Miami and Florida, they failed to crack four yards per carry. Alabama did not crack four yards per carry against Miami or against Florida. They were like 3.3 against Florida. And I worry about that because they're hanging their hat on the arm of a freshman quarterback, and Bryce Young has come through for them. But that's not where Alabama wants to be. Now, Alabama still giving credit for going on the road, winning with injuries, all that stuff. Ranked team, tough environment. I get it, right? But they need to show that they can run the ball better against decent defenses. And they need to show that their own defense cannot get pushed around by the opponent's running game before I want to put them back up higher than number four. Okay. Now, I anticipate they'll get there, but right now they're not.
3: All right, real quick, Justin Fields getting his first NFL start. Andy Dalton out, Fields in against the Browns. What are we going to
4: see from Justin Fields? You'll see a lot of running. They'll give him a very narrow subset of the passing game to have to understand and hope that the Browns' defensive brain trust doesn't figure out what he is allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do before the Bears can actually win this thing and get out of there. Justin Fields right now isn't ready to really run the full offense, but that's not just him. That, that's really a lot of rookie quarterbacks. And I think they'll use a lot of his legs. He's got the, the power in his hips and legs like a strong running back, his ability to burst and go from zero to full speed as fast as any running back I've ever seen. And he's got the thickness in his hips and legs to be able to run through tackles. So I think you'll see an awful lot of that because once the Browns defense figures out how they are limiting the reads that he has to make they'll complicate those reads and force him into a different part of the passing playbook and that is the danger for the bears if they get to that point too soon all
3: right he is trevor match you can catch him on espn of course the breakdown uh on sports center and of course his saturdays are all all on the radio for like about 22 hours straight right uh, with all of just with uh, everything 20 26 usually we cram 26 into a 24 hour day and i know you love it my friend on espn radio all right my friend this is byu cougars rise and shout brothers Seven fifteen p.m against south florida i think they're like a 20 point favorite 22 point favorite uh espn two. i know you'll be watching that as well so there you go absolutely and Thank don't you, forget all right and trevor maddich part of our best bets uh friday we look forward to uh to seeing uh, who you come up with my friend I got some good ones. I bet you do. All right, brother. Take care. Appreciate you. Thank you. There he is. The uh, 12-year NFL veteran played every position on the O-line. 15-time Emmy Award winner. Does a fantastic job, of course, with ESPN. All right. We come back next hour. We've got a little bit more, a little football to talk about, but we're going to hit the baseball side as well, too. Tim Neverett is going to join us. We talk Dodgers. We talk NL West and a whole lot more coming your way. It is the TC Martin Show on this wild Wooly Wednesday.
1: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ball. TC Martin. now in
3: hour number two glad to have you with us here on this wild wednesday I want to thank trevor maddich for joining us espn breaking it down college football style brian salman is going to join us a little bit later on this hour b sal over at the ufc facility today talking with nick diaz so uh we'll get some b sal thoughts like that and uh major league baseball we are touching that this hour as well too glad to have you with us here And don't forget Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, our Friday home. Come on out, see the show live, and join us. That is gonna be exciting. Showtime Sean Porter is gonna be joining us. The Welterweight champ, the two time Welterweight champion. He's got a huge fight coming up. Yes, Terrence Crawford and Showtime Sean Porter here in Las Vegas in November. And speaking of boxing, of course, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3 coming up here on October the 9th. So, a lot of great events coming and as we know, Canelo Alvarez back in action too against Caleb Plant. They got into a little uh little shoving match yesterday at the press conference in Los Angeles as well too. So, uh, that's coming up November the 6th. So, again, it's a, a great time to be a boxing fan back here in Las Vegas. So, as we know, the boxing capital of the world, the entertainment capital of the world, It's a a sports capital of the world. And don't forget Raiders and Dolphins coming your way on Sunday. Looking forward to that. All right. Let's talk a little Major League Baseball. And let's bring in one of my former colleagues from back in the day. And he is a... Been doing a fantastic job on the play-by-play side uh, for quite some time now. Uh, You know, did it with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Boston Red Sox, and now residing in Los Angeles with the World Series champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. We're talking about Tim Neverett. Tim, what is going on, my man?
2: Oh, uh, everything's going on. Doctor, I, I, the fact that you're at the Cosmo on Friday is unbelievable. That's my favorite place. See, I love I love hearing that. And uh I know that you know
3: when you get back to town, you love going over to the Cosmopolitan. So, you know what that means. I mean, there on a Friday, we we have to have you. You know, especially here during the off season, right?
2: yeah I'll probably be roaming around won't, you won't, I won't be too hard to find when I'm there
3: yeah <laughs> well probably like myself uh, you find yourself either uh, on the second or third floor at some of the fantastic restaurants because you can find me always at Blue Ribbon or STK or a Block 16 if I want a uh, quick grab and go after the show so there it is well, absolutely
2: we have to absolutely. dine we
3: have to dine Tim at the Cosmopolitan there's no question about uh, that
2: yeah it's one of the best places we go there a lot my, my wife and I love it there we we often stay there, and uh, it's a great place.
3: That's awesome. Hey, man, it has been a while since uh, we talked. I think the last time I had you on was back when you were, you know, working with the Red Sox. And uh, you know, like I like to say, you know, we go back uh, to those early and mid '90s where we worked together. Always great catching up with you, my friend. And I just uh, you know, we got to do this a little bit more often.
2: Yeah, we played softball together too, didn't we? Yes, we did. Pretty, <laughs> there
3: we go. Pretty sure. There, there you go. Back in the day, you know, radio uh, network softball team. Back in our old uh, SEN days, as as we like to talk about and reminisce every once in a while, the old Sports Entertainment Network. But uh, yeah, Tim came from Boston. I came from Sac. There we were together, and uh, and there we go at uh, you know, some some old days. And who can ever forget Tim Neverett? You're hosting the late-night trivia going back in Boston back in the day before that, right? Come on now.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised you remember that because that was uh, my first network job. Yeah. It was working working uh, overnights and <laughs> weekends and you know all the hours that nobody else wanted to work. But what they didn't realize was that that's when most of the stations around the country were taking the program because they didn't have local people on. So that's what... That 's where you get all the exposure was working the weekend overnight
0: and
3: that and that's where you know I ended up you know again uh, in senator you know doing like midnight to six, and I like to tell everybody i've worked every shift imaginable, but that midnight to six where you're on over a hundred affiliate stations, and when you got you know all kinds of, of, of crazy people at that hour uh, i I love those days. remember those days very, very fondly
2: yeah, those days are fun, and you know you get your regular callers, but you get a lot of callers and uh, I remember uh, doing the, the stuff for the sports final years ago out of Boston. Yep. That was before anybody else had done any network radio. Right. That was the first one uh, that was sports. And we would have people lining up 45 minutes, you know, half hour before the shows, waiting to get on and they'd wait on hold, uh, for all that time. And we had full, full phone lines all night, every night. Cause it was such a new phenomenon at the time. And then other networks came in, got the idea and they, they, you know, branched off, did their own things, but we were the first ones to do it, and it was, uh, what people didn't know is that we were in a little one-bedroom apartment <laughs> in East Boston on top of a laundromat and Chinese food uh, restaurant.
3: Unless you ate well, you know, early in the morning, right?
2: No, they weren't open
3: (laughs) then. Well, you you could get your laundry done while you're on there. That that six or seven-minute break at the top of the hour, there you go. Tim Nevers throwing his underwear in
2: there. But you know that that smell that the the dryer exhaust makes, oh, and that's no. It good. would come right up into our windows, so we'd be doing shows all night, and we'd be you know smelling somebody's uh, you know the dryer exhaust. So it was a little different. See, but times times have changed quite a bit, though. I,
3: I, now I know why you clamored to come to Las Vegas. Now you know, travel three thousand miles to to Vegas after that experience. Oh. I did,
2: yeah. It was it was worth it, though.
3: Funny stuff. All right, Tim Nevert uh, joins us. Uh, Tim has got a book uh, coming out, "Covid Curveball: An Inside View of the 2020 Los Angeles Dodgers World Series Championship Season." Uh, great stuff here, uh, Tim. Uh, what inspired you to write this book?
2: Well, because we didn't really know what was going to happen once we were quarantined. You know, we didn't know if we'd have a hundred game season, a sixty game season. Uh, we didn't know what baseball was going to bring in 2020. So uh, during the quarantine period, I just decided that it might be good to just start journaling some things and and keep writing things each day. Uh, you know, our role, my role at the club had, had been adjusted a little bit because of the short schedule. So I had a little bit more time to write. So what I did was I just wrote every day, things that I saw, observations that I made, you know, uh, things I saw at the stadium or maybe out, Outside somewhere in LA, but more, you know, it's more covering uh, the baseball season. It's about ninety-five percent Dodgers, but there's a lot of other baseball stories in there. Uh, some of my own personal stories, other other stories from around the the game in the past, and also from last year, how Major League Baseball dealt with all the testing, how we had to broadcast games, you know, heck, how we're still broadcasting games. Uh, you know, tonight I'll do the uh, Dodgers and. Colorado Rockies. They're in Denver. I'm still in at Dodger Stadium. I'm I'm there right now, so it, it's it's still had an effect on us. Um, you know, COVID nineteen has still had an effect on baseball, and and so I think that you know we just chronicling it and then chronicling the team on a daily basis in real time that went all the way to the World Series and won it turned out to be um, you know an important document uh, as far as covering baseball.
3: You know, we had just talked to uh, one of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers broadcasters. And, you know, football, they've let their announcers go on the road. But like you said, Major League Baseball, you see that through the entire league where the visiting team does not get to travel. They have to go to their stadium like you're doing tonight, you know, with the Dodgers, you know, being in Colorado. Why do you think that Major League Baseball has has kept this process up here uh, continuing from last year, is it because maybe the NFL does it because well, it's just it's once a week, and maybe they can have a little bit more control over that with the COVID situation. Where baseball, you're traveling a couple times during the
2: week. No, I think it's it's different. There's about I want to say 11 teams right now, or 11 or, or a dozen teams right now that are sending their radio crews on the road. Uh, I know the Cubs have gone to Milwaukee. I know the Pirates just did a series in Cincinnati. For TV, but the, the TV side of things, it's very different. There's a lot of logistics that people don't consider, uh, and it's very difficult um, to to just kind of pick up and go. Uh, there's the travel aspect of it. Every team has different announcers of different ages, of different uh, you know health situations. So it just matters from team to team, and and you know depending on how the cases are in your particular area, uh, you know do they want to have their announcers exposed and you know broadcasting such a big part of marketing the ball club do you want to you know risk having any issues there so that's why teams i think all across the board have been very cautious and very slow to get back to sending their announcers on the road
3: so many ir- irregularities last season. You know, you had the 60-game regular season. Of course, you had the social distancing with, uh, with players. You basically had no clubhouse contact if you're in the media, no player access, and, of course, like you said, no travel. What was maybe the most inconvenient thing that you had to deal with last year? Uh, everything.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I
3: know there's all the above, really. You're right. Yeah,
2: but- you, you, you really had to adjust your life. For example, I was uh, staying at a place downtown L.A. Uh, for the two months during the season. I was planning on moving, but we put the move off by like a year because why move for a two-month season, right? So we put it off and and waited. But at the same time, where I would stay and then I would go to the pharmacy or the grocery store in the ballpark, and that's it. That was it. I mean, I had food delivered, uh, for like a food service delivery. So that it, so I didn't have to go to the grocery store that often. Uh, and you just had to adjust your entire life to limit your exposure to people and, and places. So that was a big inconvenience for everybody. You know, it was constant testing, but it wasn't an inconvenience. You want to know. And the people you work for want to know. And I think the Dodgers did a great job in keeping everybody safe last year and, and going above and beyond major leagues protocols to make sure everybody was healthy and, you know, did everything they could. So, uh, you know, there was all that, um, you know, the fact that we couldn't work in the radio booth, we had to work in a luxury suite. You might say, well, that's an upgrade, but it really isn't because it's not set up for radio. So we had to work in a bigger room so we could spread out and we couldn't be, you know, we didn't sit near each other. And there were, you know, my partner on radio is Rick Monday. I mean, I did games with Rick. I never, I never looked at him one time because he was sitting three rows behind me, um, so there was a lot of different things that were an inconvenience, obviously. But I, I would say that inconvenience is a is a, a different word. You know, it's, it, it was more we had to do these things out of necessity, right? And uh, to stay healthy, so you you just learn to adjust. There were major adjustments, I would say. Uh, but you know, the fact of the matter is, TC, is that we were able to watch baseball in person. We were lucky. We were one of the lucky few who got to actually see games in person. Uh, where the stadiums were entirely closed. And, you know, we were part of helping to provide some sort of distraction for sports fans in our country at one of our country's worst times. Uh, where There was definitely a need for a distraction. So it was hard. The players did everything they could. When they got between the lines, they played like major league players. And uh, they didn't let the other things like the fake crowd noise and the fake fans uh, distract them. They played hard all the time.
1: Right.
3: And to that point, you know, Tim, that you're talking about, I mean, again, we're watching on TV. We don't, you know, get that sense. And, you know, when I went to the Raider games last year and covered that Legion Stadium, I thought it was very very strange. I mean, an empty stadium where you could actually hear everything that happened on the sidelines. And we're up in the press box, you know, you know, you know, 4 stories high. And I thought that was really strange. For you, what was maybe one of the strangest things or a couple strange things that you were involved with or you actually witnessed at the park during this season? Huh.
2: When the Houston Astros came in and we didn't have fans <laughs> and the the Dodgers fans really You know, they get after Houston because of the 2017 World Series. So, um, you know, one of the things about that is that uh, with no fans, somebody decided that they would hire an airplane and tow a sign behind it saying, uh, you know, Astros, uh, try and steal this sign. Um, And then the next day there were three planes towing three different signs circling the stadium during the Astros batting practice. And there were people outside the stadium protesting the Astros, and they brought trash cans and signs and waited for the team buses to come by. And, uh, I mean, they were very passionate about it as much as they could be. You know, there was that side of things. And then there's the other side of Chavez Ravine when the team's on the road and there are no human beings around. The animals start coming down from the from the hills, <laughs> and and I'm not kidding. I mean, there was one night I came out and there was a coyote twenty yards from me. Right, I was getting in my car and I turn around. And there's a coyote. There's another one up by a guardrail. So they were coming into the stadium um, because there were no human beings around to scare them off.
3: Wow, and and that's funny you say that because I've been in that parking lot so many times and never even thought that, okay, you, when you're in the stadium, it's so picturesque, and you're looking at that, but I don't think about wildlife. And then, you know, especially going to your car, and you just you describing it, I'm thinking, like, that makes perfect sense.
2: That is yeah, crazy. because when the team's on the road, the stadium's dark, so we're in the yeah. booths. The stadium's completely dark and quiet. We're the only ones there. And when we leave at ten, eleven at night, whatever time we leave, you know, the animals is kind of – taken over and uh so that was one of the strange things about last year too now this year i've not seen a single animal out there <laughs> but but uh, there's people around that's why they're so they're a little skittish and they stay up in the hills but i mean they were coming right up to the stadium last year
3: right. tim Nevert joins us a longtime broadcaster does a fantastic job with the dodgers right now and author of the book, COVID Curveball, an inside view of the 2020 L.A. Dodgers World Championship season. Tim, I want to go back to, you mentioned the the situation with the Astros coming to town, and then obviously this year we've seen the fans, you know, react with the garbage cans. And I remember the one series this year where, uh, you know, when I talked to Dusty Baker, he had said, man, it was just it was ugly. I mean, it was just you know where you know the game got delayed three, four different times. I remember watching you know one of those games on television and then talking to him afterwards, and he said, "Well, you know the the stuff that we had to hear you know from the fans there and seeing the way uh, Dodger fans were treating some some Astro fans. Where where do you stand?" On all of that. And, you know, some fans will say, hey, that was four years ago. Okay, we understand it, but it, it's still going on. And if these two teams meet in the World Series, which they very well could, I mean, it's really going get, to get heightened to another level here. So uh, talk a little bit about, you know, how do you handle that during the course of a broadcast? And, again, you are broadcasting the team, even though you weren't there at the, at the time with them. But, uh, you, know, you know, just you know, speaking on this subject here.
2: Well, I was with Boston at the time in 2017 when, when the Astros beat him in the division series and in game one, they tore apart Chris sale. They didn't swing at a slider at all. And so they knew it was coming. And, you know, people forget that that the Red Sox were kind of hosed, the Yankees were and and the Dodgers were because of the the Astros uh, and what they did. So it wasn't just the Dodgers, but, um, Dodger fans don't see that because it was in the World Series. It it was for all the marbles, and the Dodgers fans feel like they were perhaps cheated out of a World Series. Uh, The uh, Yankees fans feel like they were cheated out of an American League pennant, and the Red Sox fans feel like they were just cheated out of advancing in the postseason. Um, So uh, nobody talks about the the, the Yankees as much. They certainly don't talk about the Red Sox time, but, I mean, Chris Sale in the first inning got victimized back-to-back by Bregman and and Altuve, and Altuve hit three home runs off him that day. When would you ever see that again? Probably never. Right. So, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to the story, and there's a a lot that people are just not going to forget about it.
3: Final game of last year's World Series, Game 6. Justin Turner is pulled from the game, and uh, the Dodgers end up winning... Turner wants to come on out and does come out celebrate with his team, you know, taking photos and that sort of thing. Very controversial at the time, and really, you know, that almost overshadowed uh, the victory. Take us through that moment as you're there calling it, and and I, you know, I know that you weren't in the stadium at that point in time, but just uh, speak a little bit to that moment.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, and I, I wrote about that in, in the book as well, and it's, it was a strange moment because. You saw Edwin Rios coming out to go play third base, and you're thinking, why? uh, There's a story about what uh, tonight's starting pitcher, Walker Buehler, did to go tell the guys in the bullpen, and they didn't believe him, uh, that Justin had tested positive. But the ironic thing is that Justin was really the COVID cop on the team. He was the guy that helped to institute higher protocols than just what Major League Baseball had allowed. So it was really ironic that he was the guy who had a positive test. He has no idea how he got it. He had no symptoms whatsoever. And, um, the reason that he wasn't punished by major league baseball is because some of major league baseball security, uh, from, as I understand, told him it was all right to go on the field. So, (laughs) so they, uh, they really couldn't come back on him. And, and, uh, you know, the team wanted him out there. He's such a big part of the team. He's a team leader. Uh, And they, you know, you win a world series and that guy who's right there up until the sixth inning or seventh inning, um, you know, he's not there, but, I said that that's the most 2020 thing about the 2020 season is the fact that you have Blake Snell, who is absolutely dominating the Dodgers in game six. They can't hit him because of analytics. He doesn't last in a game as long as a guy with COVID-19 playing third base for the Dodgers. Right. So, you know, six pitches after Blake Snell was out, the Dodgers had the lead in the World Series in hand. So um, it, it was just really uh, everything from start to finish was the bizarro world of baseball, the twilight zone of baseball. And. Uh, I hope we never have to repeat that again.
3: All right. Uh, You got yourself a World Series ring. And a lot of people don't realize that, hey, you know, broadcasters and people that work with the organization, they get a ring. Uh, So talk a little bit about that. And we saw these rings. I mean, every year in every sport, I mean, it just seems like the rings get more and more gaudy and more and more expensive. Let's hear about your ring. Yeah,
2: pretty blingy. I'm I'm lucky. I actually have two of them now. But they That's right. um yeah. But this this yeah, this one is really nice and is great of the, of the organization and what they do and how they take care of the broadcasters too. So it's something that you, you know, is such a valuable thing to have as a uh, you know, a marker in your career if you're able to to get one of those. Uh not everybody who works in baseball gets to get one of those. Um, then it's just something special. And that's why when I go places and, uh, different things, I'll bring it and I'll share it with people so they can, you know, get a chance to see what it's like and, uh, feel how heavy those things are (laughs) and, uh, and, you know, get a look at it, you know, especially Dodger fans. I like to share it with them.
3: So do you actually wear it or bring it out with you? Or is this pretty much for the most part, you know, locked away in home?
2: It's most of the time locked away. Uh, but I'll bring it out for show sometimes, not, uh. Sometimes uh, I did a TV appearance recently where I I had it on. Uh, I've done a couple of those, uh, but it's just, it's so big. It looks like a satellite dish on your hand.
3: (laughs) All right. This Dodgers season, high expectations. You guys got a deep roster. And then here come the San Francisco Giants out of nowhere. I mean, what has this pennant race looked like here? Because you guys got 97 wins, second best record in all of Major League Baseball, and the Dodgers can find themselves in a wild
2: card in a one and done situation here this seems insane yeah you got 11 games to go the Giants continue to pull games out of thin air smoke and mirrors I mean it's amazing how they're winning and we're watching the games too and you're like there's just no way that happened and you know one thing happens another thing happens they all have horseshoes in their lockers up there in San Francisco because they're just they're getting very lucky having one of those seasons the Red Sox had one of those seasons in 2018. I witnessed it. I mean, every possible way you could have won a ball game, they did. Every way you could snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat, they did. And that's what the Giants are doing. They're having a, a very, very special season. Uh, but the Dodgers are still right there. The Dodgers are still right on the back of their neck and still could catch them, still could pass them. There is time. They could tie them and force a game 163. Right. So the Giants have to keep winning. The Dodgers know they have to keep winning. And... The Dodgers, for the next two games, have you know, Walker Buehler pitching tonight. He's a Cy Young candidate and a, and a Cy Young favorite. Max Scherzer pitching tomorrow afternoon in the day game, the final game in Colorado with the Rockies, before moving on to Arizona. A, a softer spot in the schedule, but they're still a big league ball club, and you, you've got to go there and win every game every day. And this is pennant race baseball. This is nothing more exciting, especially when you've got the best divisional race in the game going on between two great rivals and the Dodgers and Giants
3: you know we see so many managers that are so concerned you know with you know the postseason and making sure they're healthy making sure that pitching rotation is good and, and guys aren't you know eating up a lot of innings and that sort of thing but for the Dodgers for such a long period of time Tim this team is like you said been in playoff mode and, and what is Dave Roberts you know attitude towards this and, and the team do they feel and have they felt this way like hey every one of these games is must win situation because they don't want to be a team that has over 100 wins and and to be in a one-and-done situation. So I'm just real curious about the message in that clubhouse and and the psyche with Roberts, the coaching staff, and the players.
2: Well, they've really simplified it. It's win today. Forget yesterday, forget tomorrow, win today. Have to win today. Who cares what the Giants are doing? Doesn't matter. You're not playing the Giants tonight. You know, you're playing the Rockies, and you got to win. And they've got an all-star pitcher on the mound, and Herman Marquez, uh, they've got a pretty good hitting lineup. They played well at home in spite of losing five straight at Coors Field. Dodgers winning an extra innings last night. But I think, you know, the, the, the main focus is you've got to worry about every pitch, every every defensive play. Everything's got to be done right and uh, beat the team that you're playing tonight. You're not going to win two games in one day against two different teams. So you can't worry about them. You know, If the Padres give you some help and they beat the Giants tonight, then great. But you can't count on that. You just have to count on yourself. And that's really the message that this team has given their players.
3: You know, Max Scherzer is one of my favorite guys. I got a chance to to talk with him, you know, quite a bit when he was in Washington. Uh, talk about the presence of him in this clubhouse since he's come over.
2: Oh, it's been amazing. He, They love him. I mean, his intensity, the way that he goes about his business. He's old school. You know, in today's game, you don't see pitchers going to throw their bullpen sessions in between starts in full uniform. He does that. Because that's an old school thing. And he'll go out there fully dressed, game uniform. Most guys are wearing shorts, t shirt. <laughs> he goes out there in his full gamer. And, uh, you know, he, he's just so, he's been so good. And I, I've seen him a number of times. In fact, I, I called a near perfect game of his, uh, back in 2015, a game he should, eight and two thirds perfect. And then he, he, uh, hit a pinch hitter in the elbow and then got the next guy out to get the no hitter. But, um, he, he's been remarkable. He really has been remarkable, and I think right now he's the odds-on favorite to win the Cy Young Award in the National League, and I think he should.
3: You know, familiar with Clayton Kershaw's postseason, uh, you know, troubles in, in the past. Maybe not so much, you know, last postseason, but you know, you know, he's coming off an of injury. Uh, what is the the status with with Kershaw, and where does he fit in here?
2: Oh, he's fine right now. He's back in the rotation. He pitched five really good innings the other day. Um, uh, against the Reds, uh, he, he's fine. He's he'll be stretched out to you know six innings, seven innings here in his next start. Um, but it, just a matter of how the pitching lines up and how everybody's doing. But Kershaw's fine right now. That's a big boost. But you've got three big pitchers. You know, aside from him, with Julio Urias, uh, Walker Buehler, and Max Scherzer, then your fifth guy is Tony Gonsolin, uh, who will jump back into the rotation for a start here uh, coming up because of the way the schedule is. But I, I think the Dodgers are going to be fine in starting pitching. Uh, typically, it comes down to three. It's just a matter of which three. But Julio Rios has pitched so well this year. I mean, he's the major league leader in wins with 18. Uh, Bueller's so good. And, and uh, you know the Dodgers are going to have to find a way to get Kershaw involved. But he got that playoff monkey off his back last year. I think he's just going to be fine
3: you know the we talk a lot about the Trevor Bauer situation i don't know how much you guys have have talked about that addressed that but a very sad situation there i guess you know now you know that uh, suspension or whatever you want to call it, leave of absence extended and extended and, he, and he's pretty much done but just some quick thoughts about Trevor Bauer and the Dodgers there
2: really really nothing i mean it's to be honest we really look at the players who are here Yep. Yeah. And if, and if somebody's not here, we're not paying any attention to them, to be honest. I mean, even that, that's guys that go down to triple a, we don't, we follow the triple a club, but we don't, you know, spend a lot of time on it because we have so many players here and our, our jobs are, you know, information-based. So it's very challenging just to keep up with who's here. And that's really all we've been focusing on is the guys who are here. If, if someone's not here, they, they're not helping. So it's not a, it's not a situation that we focus on or think about I, I, to be honest, I haven't even thought about him in, in weeks and weeks, right. so um we just you know the team has moved on, everybody's moved on and and uh you know they're just trying to win a game against Colorado tonight All right,
3: uh Cody bellinger, his status understand uh Cody bellinger on the i l now all right
2: yeah, he'll be back after the weekend. they retroed him yesterday back a few days, he got in a collision with Gavin Lux in the outfield uh, the first day Lux was playing left field at the big league level and uh, some miscommunication and they had a bit of a collision. And so he's got a non-displaced fracture of one of his ribs and it hasn't been getting any better. So I think that um, uh, he should probably be back after the weekend. He's been struggling at the plate anyway. Uh, the one guy they're, they're trying to get back is Chris Taylor. He's had some sort of a sore neck and has, he wasn't available last night. We'll see if he's available today.
3: All right. Great Dodger talk here with Tim Neverett. Tim, final thing for you is the – dodger dog improved i mean we talked about the story about you know uh farmer john out uh, new company in new dodger dog I, I i wasn't a fan of the original dodger dog tim so help me out here
2: well i i didn't mind the old dodger dog and i i do like the new one i've, I've only tried one this year i don't uh i don't try to overload on the Dodger dog, but, <laughs> um, but I have tried one cause it was a new one and I thought it was pretty good. So I think either way, you're not going to go wrong.
3: Is the press box food back, you know, now that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, okay, that's good because, okay, so, you know, cause before, you know, the box lunches or, you know, we've had to deal with a lot of that or just, you know, you know, no food at all here. So at least uh, no, they,
2: they brought in some, uh, food service machines for us when the team's on the road. But when they're at home, we've have full press uh, press dining back this year, which has been wonderful.
3: You gotta love it. All right, my friend. Not quite as good as the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, but you know, <laughs> we'll do. No, it. There's, <laughs> there's, not,
2: there's nothing like Secret Pizza. Oh, there you go. Especially 2 o'clock in the morning, right? There you go. Hush, hush. I I don't know. I lose track of time when I'm there.
3: Tim, you can't talk about that. Hush, hush. It's secret, okay? Secret pizza. (laughs) Hey, my friend, enjoy the call uh, tonight. We'll be watching Dodgers and the Rockies. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, hopefully talking with you as we approach uh, playoff time, my friend. And uh, go catch the Giants, all right? Get the win. I mean, that Cinderella story's got to be
2: over right now, okay? Uh, I'm hoping so, and, and uh, if, if people want to pick up the book and learn about the Dodgers, they can go to Amazon and they get all the all the varieties there. Hardcover, Kindle, audio book, it's all there at Amazon.com.
3: COVID Curveball is the book, an inside view of the 2020 L.A. Dodgers World Championship season. Author Tim Neverett, Amazon, it's there. We highly suggest uh, that you get it. And uh, congratulations on the book, my friend. Congratulations on that. Congratulations on, on, a, on a great career. And uh, keep on keeping on, man. All right. Thanks, TC. Appreciate it. You got it. There he is. Tim Neverett. Uh, spent a lot of time here in Las Vegas, you know, on the radio side. Uh, again, former colleague of mine and doing a fantastic job with the Dodgers. And check out his book. Uh, just a great read. Inside view of the 2020 Dodgers. The COVID curveball, appropriately named. All right. This just in, the Tampa Bay Rays have clinched. They clinched the AL East, so, right? Well, they got a playoff spot, you know. I know, that's what I say. I say boo, too. Now, I want the Astros to get that number one seed. That's what I want. I want them hosting the Rays. I don't want to go to that orange juice box, that horrendous place they call a stadium there, Tropicana Field. Ridiculous. Yeah, that's about the, the amount of crowd they have there, too that you hearing that laugh track. Jeez, pathetic. All right, we come back. B-SAL's going to join us. Our sports director over at News 3. We'll hit some football and look ahead. Raiders-Dolphins coming up this weekend.
0: I do exactly what
1: I want to do. It's, it's the, the doctor, T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in.
3: I almost feel like we got theme music going here, you know? You know when I hear this? now Flashback to my old NorCal days. That means it's Brian Salmon time. That's right. B-SAL, News 3, sports director, getting his groove on while he's driving today. B-SAL, come on
0: in. B-B-D. Girl, I'm a- I'm, I'm behind. I can barely hear you, though, but I'm behind. Go ahead, man. <laughs> you gotta turn
3: down your radio. Turn down your radio and sing along. Go ahead.
2: You
0: know you you want to. Oh, there you go. So awesome. hey, I like it. I need I need this energy right now. You gotta play the hook, though. It's coming. It's out of my mind, that's why it's hard for me to so find, can't get it out of my head, Miss- uh, you, you Yo, did, so that girl that girl. You this just, is my dro- themes, this is my entry music. This is my walkout music now, huh? That's your walkout music, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
3: I, I think you struck out on three pitches though. After that, hearing that rendition, jeez. No, I, I've never
0: struck out in my life, man. I don't no, know about that. that's right. You only, you only get picked <laughs> I get off a first. Out. Exactly. Yeah,
3: I just get picked off. I don't strike out. I get a hit, and then I get picked off. <laughs> uh, what's going on, my man? Oh man, what's happening, TC? Woo! Been uh, been busy, been crazy, as you well know, and uh, this is a, oh. a, a a great time to be either, either a sports fan or in the sports media, as we know, right? Man, I keep
0: saying this on the air, just different ways of saying it, but this week in Las Vegas is a sports fan's dream. I mean, everything that's going on, UFC, Raiders, Golden Knights, NASCAR, soccer going on in Allegiant Stadium tonight. Like, anything you want, you can have it out here. It's, 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 this is the place to be, as if folks didn't already know. They better ask
3: somebody. b sad. do you remember what's happening in six days from now? You better put that on the docket of the, the forefront there. Six days. Of next, course. Of next course. Tuesday uh, night. There you go, brother. Is it, is it really next Tuesday? Next Tuesday
0: night, game one, the WNBA semifinals. Wow. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was next Tuesday. Yeah. I will have, um, I'm letting the cat out the bag, and hopefully it's confirmed. I, I, I'll, I'll find out later on this evening, but I should have one of the uh, playoff players in studio tomorrow, one that has not done an interview since this person was put on, yeah. I guess, the COVID list.
3: Yes, yes. I know what you're yeah. saying. I know. I know. Yeah. You'll be having her on the TV, I'll be having her on the radio, and there we go, man. We'll, you know, the, okay, okay, the, the big, there we go, All right? I like it, yeah. I like it. So when, as, when, as you, you, should. when you have her on, um, you rock her world, you get a big smile, and you can tell her where it came from. Say, yeah, introduce her as the Big Benzie, and she'll know where that came from. That's it. The big, did, you, did you come up with that
0: name? Well, I've heard her say that plenty of times.
3: Yeah, she said it, but no one ever says it to her when they're interviewing her. And so every time I have her on, I said the big... And she's like cracking up. She goes, you know, no one else ever called me that, but uh, she calls herself that. You know, she... She had said that. I, so the there big you go.
0: body bins. I remember. I remember, I remember the interview that she did. That the there, big body bins. There you go. Absolutely. There, there it is. When she was talking about the coach from Connecticut, I believe it was right.
3: Yeah, correct. <laughs> correct. There you go. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah.
0: Who they are hoping to see in the finals? There you go. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if they see that, you know, what, that would be apropos. That's my final word for the day. If they end up being the team has really had their number all season long. So that, that would be nice to see them in the finals. And to be able to to get over, to overcome them in order to win a title, how sweet would that be?
3: It would be fantastic. And i got to give you kudos, B-Sal, because from a television side, you've been that guy that has given the Aces a lot of love. You've, you've had the ladies in studio, uh, you know, uh, on your Sunday sports night shows and, and other times as well. You come to the arena. Uh, much appreciation for that, brother. Given, given the Aces and the WNBA plenty of love.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate that, TC, man. I, I truly enjoy the game. You know I have two daughters. You know I'm a hooper at heart. And uh, Jiggy is the best. You know what I mean? Like he's he's up there with the Jim Jimmers of the world as far as, like, the sports information folks here in Las Vegas, man. So uh, I, I, I truly enjoy covering the Aces and – it gives me the opportunity to holler at you in person, man, because I really get a chance to see you with everything that's going on, man. So I appreciate the work you do, and I'm not saying that just because you said that to me. You already know, man. I appreciate the work you do, man, calling the games for the Aces. Uh, and, and like I told you about a couple weeks ago, I need to get some of these calls sent to me so I can put them on the air, man, so we can get you some more love.
3: Done deal? Done deal. They they're being sent over, brother. So yeah, absolutely. Just whatever you need, you know, we'll we'll get that to you. Not a problem My at all. G. Yes. Done My deal. G. Done deal. Done deal. Right. Hey, right. so, you know, again, you're covering everything here. And, and one of the stories that, that people have kind of been talking about is what has happened to Bishop Gorman and in that last football game. And I don't know how closely <laughs> you guys covered that thing, but Hamilton High completed a stunning 17-point comeback. and We don't talk about high school sports here very often at, at all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what, just a minute and 10 <laughs> seconds? And Bishop Gorman, the powerhouse that
0: we know? What what is going on
4: there, man? Uh,
0: what what was going on there is something that was all bad. <laughs> that was that was all bad. Put on national I saw the highlights on ESPN.
3: Right, right. Twenty four seven. They were up with a minute ten left in the game, and they give up a uh, seventeen unanswered yeah. point, and and there you go. Uh, they end up uh, no that twenty four twenty three. Right.
0: That was. Yeah, yeah, no, that was bad. That was bad. I I just got done talking to one of the coaches for Arborview High School, whom I believe plays Bishop Gorman uh, this weekend. And he was telling me, he's like, man, we got to play Bishop Gorman after what they just went through. This is not-. And Arborview is historically had a very good football team here in Vegas. He's like, man, we got to play Gorman after this. We already have a hard time with them, but them coming off of that horrendous loss, they're going to be something else. And I mean, that was. It, it It doesn't get much more embarrassing than what happened to them in that game.
3: Right. Yeah. To to blow a lead like that and then, yeah, and then give it, what, the two point conversion there at the end? Yeah. 25 yes. 20, 24 final.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, and do great. it on a national stage. Yes.
3: Yes. Yes. So, Bishop Gorman, Ooh. the powerhouse that they are, they're, they'll probably. Uh, You know, answer back, and you know again. We've seen like Alabama, or we've seen Ohio State. You know, these teams that kind of come off these rare losses like that, and uh, yeah, you you feel bad for the opponent the following week, and that's probably
0: what's going to happen. They they need to bounce back, and mind you, the fact that Gorman is is historic and as powerful as they are, as far as in winning games, they're not the defending state champions for the first time in like fifteen years.
3: I don't think I've ever seen anybody at any level give up two onside kicks in the final minute of a game, you know?
0: Uh, that just happened in the NFL recently, but they didn't end up losing the game. Right. I'm pretty sure pretty sure the Lions and the 49ers, I want to say, in week one had the exact same thing happen.
3: Okay, right. And that is so different, too. I mean, you know, with the NFL rules, I mean, it's like you have a 2% shot of recovering an onside kick exactly. with, you know, yeah, again, yeah. you have to have, be balanced out. You can't run up. You got to be in a standstill <laughs> until the kicker kicks the ball. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: And I, and you know what? That's, that's interesting that you say that because watching the highlights of the Gorman game and the way that the team it was at Hamilton, the way that they were doing the onside kick, I'm thinking to myself like, man, this, this is the most innovative onside kick I've ever seen. <laughs>
3: Did we lose B Sal the, there? Oh, the there mo- you. It seemed
0: like the most effective onside kick I had ever seen.
3: Right, right. So, uh, breaking news here, B Sal, that uh, we understand that uh, if Bishop Gorman is looking for a next opponent, Bishop Sycamore is available. All right. Yes. Now you familiar with Bishop? Bishop? You familiar with Bishop Sycamore? Yeah, they're the they're the team that. Uh, uh, you know, got into the, the ESPN national game with junior college players and they were non-competitive there a few weeks back, if you remember, and had, had their s- entire schedule basically
0: canceled because they weren't even a school. That's what yes no I remember that was that was one of the most interesting weird stories to come across sports in a while uh, yeah, that was odd that yeah, was really 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 odd I,
3: I'm very familiar with the Catholic school system you know Bishop Gorman uh, you know under, understand uh, that title I've never known a fig tree to be affiliated with the Catholic Church like that <laughs> the yeah, Bishop of, uh, sycamore
0: yeah, yeah. Bishop sycamore yeah Bishop <laughs> sycamore like, that's true. I never thought of it like that, but yeah, that that doesn't seem uh, like some kind of religious religious entity. Yes, uh, maybe the sycamore is what Eve and Adam used to wear back in the Garden of Eden.
3: Oh wow! I, I I'm, I'm not gonna respond to that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's a stretch.
3: Yeah. There you go. All right, man. Uh, Raiders two and o, facing the Dolphins, Allegiant Stadium on sunday uh what do you think about the raiders going into pittsburgh now i think a lot of people had the raiders probably at one and one after the first two weeks you know uh i picked them i thought they would they would get the job done against baltimore they were banged up they found a way one of the most exciting games that we've seen in quite some time in the home opener allegiance stadium with fans and then in that short week going to the east coast Ten o'clock in the morning game, they gotta face the Steelers, and they get the job done. So one and one, I mean, so two and zero, and now they have this fantastic opportunity. And I expect them to be three and zero by beating the Dolphins, the quarterbackless Dolphins, this Sunday. You know
0: what, TC? Uh, I would say that I was one of the people as well, probably just you and I, really, that if we're being honest, that picked the Raiders to actually beat the Ravens on Monday Night Football. And then going to Pittsburgh, I've been saying and had said to everyone that would listen, if their defense played well, the offense we know is going to show up, because they always show up for the most part. For the most part, it's a defense that has lost in their games over the past couple years. And the defense is one of the better defenses in the NFL. They showed them in Pittsburgh, at two 2-0. But I've been saying this week, this game with the Dolphins is probably – Going to be the toughest game for them this season mentally because Dolphins have a backup quarterback. The Dolphins just got hammered; had a can opened on them in their last game versus the Bills, and the Raiders are two and zero. And their the talk of uh, you know of ESPN and nationally, they're you know, hey, the Raiders different. You know, they got a good team this year. They're two and zero, blah blah blah. So the fact they have these high expectations. How will they deal with that? Because you and I both know that it's much different winning games when you're supposed to win those games. Good teams win games that they are supposed to win, you know, not the games that they're underdogs in, because it's easy to get up for a game that you're an underdog. It's easy to get up for a fight with your underdog. Anytime you're an underdog, it's easy to get up. But if you're favored to win, you're coming home, you're coming off of two great wins, and it's your inside the Death Star last time they were there. They had two short and ice cube. How are they playing this game? I'm very, very interested to see. And I I I'm going to say this will be their toughest game to date. Even though that, that Ravens game was uh was you know it kind of a nail biter and whatnot. Um, I'm hoping that it won't be tough. And if it's not tough, then the Raiders are for real.
3: You know that's that's an interesting you know take there, B Sal, and I, I'm going to I'm going to take a, a, a different take here. I'm going to think that at this point in time the Raiders are. Are, it's not going to be a big challenge for them mentally. Now, if it was a, one of those let-down you know, type of games where you were maybe a 12- or 13-point uh, you know, favorite or something like that, it would be one thing. But this Raider team has got momentum probably like we haven't seen before. When you have all the hype, the pomp and circumstance, all the pageantry that you had for the opening night on Monday night, and you pass that test and you're victorious – you know, I expected, and that 's why I thought they would probably lose that game against Pittsburgh because wow, you know how you 're still banged up, and then you have no Josh Jacobs. that how are you going to do that, but they carried that no momentum yeah well no exa- right exactly, so but they took that mojo and they carried it with them on the road against a very tough Pittsburgh team. And they really I'm gonna say they dominated that game. I mean they led they really through did. They, they, they led throughout game, right. and they frustrated right. they frustrated Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin and in that defense, that vaunted Pittsburgh Steeler defense. They pretty much shredded them with no running game. So now I'm thinking this team believes in themselves. They can hardly wait to get back to Allegiant Stadium where they had that success Monday night. So I'm thinking they are feeling very good about themselves. And uh, I I don't see any letdown whatsoever from the Raiders. And then, you know, I think they're licking their chops saying, hey, you got no Tua? And last time Miami was here? Remember what happened? They got oh, yes. us. This is motivation for us. I say no letdown whatsoever from the Raiders. I
0: think just I, motivation, baby. I, I hope. I hope. No, I, I'm not saying they're going to have a letdown. I say I think that it's it's tough. You said the door's there's, open. There's you ways. said, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, Yeah. there's two ways it can go, man, because I, I hope that what you said is exactly how it plays out because I can see – Exactly the mentality that you said going through the first two games and entering this game, you know that's what you you hope to guard against. But it's 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 so you see it all the time in professional sports and just in general. It's hard to guard against getting a little bit complacency and, and thinking that you've arrived and see I told you we could do it. You know you you didn't believe in us. You didn't believe in me and blah blah blah. But now they don't have it. Everyone believes in you especially for this game. Everyone believes in you. Oh, man, you should beat them. And you said they're not a 10-, 12-point favorite. They've got to be at least a a six-point favorite. They're a
3: four-point favorite.
0: That's it. Just four. four. I know. And, and I said that
3: earlier that this has the feeling of about a six-point line because with no Tua and, and Jacoby Brissett quarterbacking. And, again, you know, you've know, you got all that mojo going and the way Carr is playing. I mean, Carr is the number one quarterback in the league right now, the way he's playing. He, he's got more yards. yards than anybody else. 817 yards yeah. through two games. So, But, you yep. know, to your point here, it's like, okay, if the Raiders win this game, they're for real. But, again, this is where it comes down to coaching. Okay? You cannot yep. let your team have a letdown. John Gruden, time for you to earn that $10 million per season right now, right? To have your team 100%. ready. Got it. Then they got to be ready. Plain and simple. So, I think think they're going to be 3-0, and if we come back here on Monday and we're talking about this team is 2-1, that is a major disappointment. You've got to beat this Dolphins team. Remember, B-Sal, the Dolphins got the big Z last week. They got a zero on the board on their home field. On their home field. Come on, that's inexcusable.
0: I mean, come on, even the Lions can score. Give me a break. No, I know. And think about this, though. As bad as the Dolphins played, think about – Think about how motivated they are coming here. They are professionals. They played in Las Vegas last year. They beat the Raiders last year, a game that they shouldn't have won. That game last year, correct? The Raiders should have beat them. Yeah, it's you know magic, I mean? baby. Fits it's magic. That's it. Got it to them exactly. Yeah, Tua did didn't get exactly. the job no done. No reason why they won. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they got jobs. They got jobs as well. Um, so, I mean, the, the the Dolphins have all the motivation in the world. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, one team is going to have to make up its motivation and it's it's us-against-the-world mentality while the other team has all of that already built in. We'll see who will be able to uh, to uh, create it and use it more effectively on Sunday. That, that that's, that's one of the reasons why you love sports. You know what I mean? Like You love the competition aspect of it, and that's one of the reasons why sports betting is so big because no one knows, man. Like a four-point spread, like you have the easy... Obvious one is like, of course they cover, but but they sports books are rich for a reason. <laughs> B cell <B-SAL laughs> might be, be going, going to the... the cosmopolitan for a reason. There, he, there
3: you go. B cell might be going to the window. I i hear him uh, giving some raider love there. He's he's thinking, man, I could I could add some greenbacks to my wallet there. I hear you. That's what
0: you're thinking. <laughs> I know you are. I can always use some greenbacks, man. But I only bet on the sure thing, like. <laughs> Like me shooting the ball against any media member in Las Vegas. That's a sure thing.
3: You better watch it, man. Any. Any. any <laughs> you better watch, watch that. Any
0: media member in Las Vegas. That goes for Kevin e. Martin, who, who says she's got a wet ball. <laughs> and I've, I've seen videos and all of that. I've, anybody who thinks they can shoot, come see me
3: uh come see about me that's what he's saying be sal all right brother uh, tell the people what we got coming up uh, You interviewed nick diaz today you got ufc
0: happening real quick give it to us real quick yes uh check it out i'll be uh doing my report for the ufc apex today and i'll have the latest on nick diaz who made everyone wait in the media room before he showed up <laughs> and guess what he didn't show up. Uh, How about that? Pulled a Floyd Mayweather Jr. That. on you, didn't he? Huh? A little flashback. Man, Floyd's never done that to me, but Nick Diaz really. Well, no. And we all know, saw him enter the building, didn't show up. Wow. So. Wow. There you terrible. go. That's no terrible, good. terrible,
3: That's no good, man. Yeah. That's no good.
0: But I had the other fighters that did show up, like the title fighters, uh, Shevchenko and Volkanovsky. So we have that. Uh, we're talking some Raiders. Derek Carr has some good words to talk about what we were just talking about, as far as motivation and not feeling like you have arrived. Derek Carr has some ha- had a very, very interesting uh, comments on that um, per uh, coming from John Gruden and everything else. So be looking out for that. On uh, Channel 3 coming up tonight at 6 p.m. 1, the big three. All
3: right. Looking forward to it, brother. All right, my man. Be good. We will catch you uh, over the weekend and into next week. And we'll see you at Legion Stadium, Mandalay Bay, coming up uh, on Tuesday and Thursday as well, too.
0: Absolutely. Hey, are you going to that soccer game tonight by any chance?
3: I am not. I am not. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. I am going down there, so I was thinking I might see you there. I'm really going to see what the atmosphere is like, but also I can't get enough of the food inside of Allegiant.
3: Uh, I know know the feeling, man. I know it. All right, B-SAL. Eat well. Go ahead and and post some of those pictures. Go ahead and try to match my Allegiant uh, Stadium food pics. Go ahead. There you go. I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. All right, my man. Catch him. It could be wearing the pink suit, the maroon suit, the the powder blue. You never know. It's Brian Salman. News 3. <laughs> Take care. All right. All right, TC, be good, my man. All right. There is Brian Salman. Want to thank Tim Never for joining us today, Trevor Madich and of course B Sal. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website tcmartinshow.com. Nick Nice in the house in the building. My man's back. Yeah. Get busy. All right. Don't forget Friday. Come see us at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And again, website tcbartshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene tomorrow at two Bill Lambier, Scott Spritzer, and more.